Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. I go in there knowing that I'm helping them in their final moments. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? You always just say, okay, one of these days I'm going to get great, like Tony the Tiger out of you. One of these days. I don't know when that day will <laughs> I would say I'm okay is like the best I, the best you could get from me for, given the I don't know, maybe until all my kids are grown up. Yeah, no, I'm okay. I am like a little bit buzzy right now. I took my ADHD medication. I only had one pill left and I was like saving it for today because I have so much that I have to do. So oh. I took it and then I was like I kind of warned my kids and I was like all right we gotta get stuff done because we have people coming over for a barbecue I still have to go grocery shopping I still have to like shower very jam-packed day but it'll be good yeah it's gonna be great it's great (laughs) there you go is Tony the Tiger only Canadian is he American no he is American because I was watching a show and they were like doing the impression yeah it's American oh okay oh how are you Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I still love my new job. Amazing. And I had a colleague that I hadn't met yet. I was walking down the hallway and she was like, are you Carling? And I was like, yes. And she was like, oh my God, one of my like really good friends, she called her a sister wife, is a huge fan of your podcast. And I was like, I know. I was like, what? And so Kathy, who's one of our, she's a patron and she likes all of our stuff. She's just the cutest ever. Yeah, so I guess they're really good friends because I mentioned that I work where I work and Kathy was like, right. oh, like this podcast that I listened to, one of the hosts just started at the zoo. And yeah, so anyway, they talked about it. That is so funny. I think it would have been even funnier if she asked you if you were Carling and you just said no and kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, no. And then just keep Ew, going. God. I, know, I so feel exciting. like when I start a new job or meet new people, I don't know if, when, how I should yeah. bring up that I have a podcast. Yeah. Because I don't want to not bring it up because I'm not embarrassed or ashamed, but like oh. also I don't like to brag and I don't, I don't, I'm not good at talking about myself. And also like once you put it out there, like they can go back and listen to everything that we've ever said. That's a little bit scary. I know. I run through in my head. I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what have I said? We're just loose cannons out on this. Intro <laughs> <We right are. laughs> Unscripted. Yeah. Unfiltered. Wait, li- like literally. <laughs> and <laughs> so yeah, who knows? Maybe she's listening right now. I don't know. OMG. Hello. 
That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. We also had a fun little reunion a couple of days ago. Oh my God. I'm still like, I'm so happy that we did it. I know. It was the best. It was like such a good thing for our souls. Our friends, Liza and Steven from high school. My fair lady. Uh, who now live in California were in town and we met up and it was the best time. Yeah. Liza's been like a huge supporter of our yes. podcast and she shares it with people and talks about it and she's on our Patreon and I just don't yeah, know she's what just we've amazing. done to deserve such love. And they have the coolest life. I'm like, yeah, I just want to go hang out with them. And yeah, it's just the next time we see them, we're going to them for sure. Oh, yeah. They live in California. Steven yeah. works in film and movies and mm-hmm. has like celebrity encounters. I know. And... I'm dying over that. I'm just so interested in that life. And I'm so interested in like backgrounds of movies and TV shows and what actors are like in real life and what it was like filming and like the yeah. dynamics on set. I think it's so cool. When they make a lifetime movie about us. Yeah. Yeah. Like We'll like, we'll have those chairs and we'll be able to sit there on set. And... Yeah. Who would be the actor that played you? <sighs> oh man. Like maybe Kristen Stewart. Yeah. I could see the actress. What's her name now? She has a podcast, True Crime and Cocktails. Ashley... Oh yes. From Superstore. Lauren Ash. Lauren Ash. Yeah. I just feel like you guys have the same mannerisms, same like yeah. comedies. How cool would that be? The only celebrity I've ever been compared to, and I think it's because of the red hair, is Donna from that 70s show. Yeah, but she's a Scientologist. Are we I know. behind that? No, no. I, who that. knows who celebrities are going to be by the time they make this time movie? It's not no, true. this week. True. We have time. Yeah. Okay, if any of us, our listeners who know our looks and personality have an actor that they can suggest would play us. We should put that on our Instagram story. Yeah, I like I feel like my dream job is to be a teamster. I think I've talked about this before, where you drive around celebrities like on movie sets and on television sets. Yeah, I want to be a teamster like that. I want that job. Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe I feel like I need to be relevant because I didn't know Kim Kardashian's now ex-boyfriend. Is, and so I've been trying to pay more attention mm-hmm, and I can't mm-hmm. believe Anne Heche died. Oh, my gosh. I know. That was so How crazy. Terrible. Did you see the footage of the crash? Yeah. It's so oh bad. Oh my God. It's so bad. Yeah. I was surprised. No, I don't even know why I'm surprised. They were keeping her on life support because she was going to be an organ donor. Okay. And I think that's really great. But then can you imagine having Anne Heche's spleen? Kidney? That would be I don't crazy. know. I don't know cornea yeah how was her eyesight crazy and so whoever i would think whoever in a 24-hour span receives an organ has got to wonder because i know that they keep it very like we know from interviewing jana that it's very confidential and private and i imagine it's the same in the states i know it's that way in canada but i don't know if that's i don't know if it's the same in the states because you've seen so many videos about like people who have met their organ donors or they've met like they've invited their dad's like heart donor to their wedding is it really that secretive in the states i don't know i don't know if you're in the states and have given or received an organ (laughs) tell us what it's like (laughs) a lot of work for the listeners this week yeah. Have you ever run out of storage on your phone? Yes, all the time. What do you mean all the time? How many m- megabytes, gigabytes? What's the... How many pictures do I take? When my kids okay. were yeah. babies, I ran out of storage constantly. Like yeah. I always had to hook up my phone to my computer, transfer all the files over. Ever since I got 
like a Google phone or, and then you get the storage. It has been, it hasn't happened because my, all of my stuff just goes to my storage, like online cloud, whatever. Does it automatically delete from your phone? It doesn't delete, but it backs up. So the, it's not there. You know what I mean? Like it's there, but it's not there. No, I don't know. Like if you click on it, it's not coming from your phone storage. It's coming from cloud storage. Oh, nervous about the cloud partly because i'm secretly 90 i just like where is it are you also nervous about bank machines (laughs) because i my phone just told me that i couldn't do anymore because i used up too much and i like I don't know, like 6,000 photos, videos, whatever. So then I started going through and I was like, okay, like I'll clean it up. And there is an iPhone update coming where it'll delete duplicates. So if you take like three pictures in a row, it'll actually delete two of them. Yeah, that's nice. But there was a time when you used to post to Instagram you would upload a picture, post it, and then it would save as a new picture, just a square yes. version. So then, you so I have the all two. of those. Yeah. And then I don't know how many boomerangs I feel my life needs, but yeah. I've got a boomerang of literally everything. Yeah. And slow mos. I love a good. You're slow-mo. like the queen of slow mos. Yeah. Yeah, I love them. And like, how many videos of my dogs playing and sleeping do I need? Whatever feels good in your heart. Because I have a lot of Tony and he's died now. Oh, yeah. And so I don't want to get rid of them. No. But like... I know for a while Android had like unlimited storage and then they started charging for it. So does Apple have anything like that where you can buy more storage? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Not on your device though. Like it's all... all, Yeah, it's all out there. Theoretical cloud. And I... It's so funny because like I literally the other day was going through pictures of us for that uh, TikTok trend and the amount of physical pictures I have is ridiculous from back like forever. And it's just crazy to think of like now you don't have those physical pictures. They're all just somewhere. Very rarely do you ever print anything off. Now my kids, when they're older, they're not going to be going through like physical photos. They're going to be like on my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it too. I post so much to Instagram. That is like where I keep my yeah. like most post worthy, but I don't post everything. No. So do I delete yeah. everything and only rely on Instagram? What if Instagram goes Ooh. away? I'm just nervous yeah. about it. It's okay. You'll be all right. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Can I tell you a really quick fun story about my work? So I work at a zoo and I am learning the job. I do events, sales. And so we were, I was shadowing, giving a site tour with these three ladies for a Christmas party. And as we approached this one building, this giant peacock was just blocking the doorway. Oh yeah. I saw your his, video like, of law- that. Yeah. And, and they're feisty. They're feisty and confident. They're not scared of people because they've, yeah. they grew up in the zoo. I mean, look at their feathers. They're of course they're confident. They're fabulous. One of the ladies was terrified of birds. Oh and no. she, she was like, okay, I'm just really, I'm really scared of birds. And we were like, oh, okay, we'll just, and so we're trying to like shoo. I was like, what's protocol here? Because at the zoo, peacocks just wander around. Yeah. Yeah. And so we had to encourage him to, to leave the space so this lady could get into the building. It was so funny. Maybe he just wanted a site tour. Did you ever think of that? I know. I did hear on the radio, they had to call <laughs> animal care because- one of the peacocks got into one of the buildings. Oh, no. <laughs> they couldn't get him out. <laughs> the, like, funny things that will happen at this new job that, like, you've never experienced before. Yeah, like, how is this real life? How is this my like job? penguin crossing or something like that. It's like, everybody <sighs> stop. There's penguins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's so cool. It's so fun. It's okay. like the perfect job for you. It's like events and animals. Like how? Like honestly. And everybody yeah. is so nice. I'm Amazing. so excited to go to work tomorrow. I love that. Thank you. And I'm not just saying that because people that I work with might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll trash talk um, them on the Patreon. Yeah. That's a good segue. I was going to say, let's get down to business. We have a Patreon. We do. So why would somebody join our Patreon, Michelle? If they cannot get enough of us and they want to pay us. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> a long and short of it. That's the bottom line. If you support the work that we do, if you want to financially help us keep doing what we're doing and improve our equipment, and I'm currently saving up with our money to get some of those like sound foamies. Yep. Yep. Because I'm currently just sitting here with pillows surrounding me. Yes. So like it supports the work that we do. It puts gas in Michelle's car because she drives forever for work. Groceries on the table. And we're not just like, give us money. We give you. We're giving you stuff bonus content that you're never going to hear on the main feed. Yep. And we have three levels to choose from. So if you're like, I don't know what I can commit to for as little as $5 a month, you get instant access to over 63 bonus episodes. That's amazing. That's so much. It's the end of the summer. If you need to tune your kids and family out, join the Patreon, plug in this podcast and just get to binge in. Yeah. Get to get to binge in. Maybe I do want to mention that the, for our Canadian listeners or our, international listeners pricing on patreon is in u.s dollars it's not something that we can really get around so if it does look differently when you go to sign up that's because it's converting to your currency because the way we set our prices it has to be in u.s dollars yeah it's a u.s company so yeah there you go and then we also have merch we do some of our listeners have already gotten their merch it was and that it looks fast. Yeah, and it looks so good. I love it. I'm so excited just for everybody yeah. to get their stuff. Yeah. So if any of this sounds remotely interesting and you're still listening, go basically go on our website, which is I did not sign up for this.ca. On mm-hmm. our Instagram, we have a link to all of these things. Or just and if you become a, a Patreon and- on our higher levels, you do get discounts off our merch. Ooh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Oh God, we need to do a trigger warning for this episode. Ooh, I think we needed to do a trigger warning for the interview. My goodness. <laughs> it That was we, a yeah. lot. I didn't, when I booked Maria, she is a death doula. She deals with grieving people. It did not occur to me that you and I would cry. So we have a real raw and honest conversation about our experiences oh. with death and grief. It was a journey. I'm excited to re-listen to it because I literally... Don't even, I feel like it was an outer body experience talking to her. I don't remember half of what we talked about, but I remember crying and laughing and being really angry and like all the things. Oh, you were fired up. I was pretty fired up. You said outer body. Outer body experience. No, it's an out of body. (laughs) It's not outer body. Is this a poll that we're going to have to put up? Your outer outer body experience. Like maybe if you're from the backwoods. Hillbilly? What are you talking yeah, like about? Like outer body is like your skin. But an out of body, it's like you are removed from your body watching this experience. But being outer out outer <laughs> <laughs> like there's inner and outer. Uh-huh. Inner inside your body. Outer body would still be your body, but on the other. Maybe I had a skin experience. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> yeah, fair. Valid. Okay. <laughs> you had an outer body experience. I had an out of body experience. There we go. There we go. 
Oh my God. Uh, okay. That's... So make sure you have tissues. Make sure you're in the right headspace to listen. If you're dealing with loss and grief, just take care of yourself. I mean, and reach out to very, Maria. Very candid talk about death. Yeah. So buckle up. Buckle up. All right. Let's Click. get into it. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Hello, Maria. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Happy Sunday. Yeah, happy Sunday to you too. What's life like in Toronto? It's yeah. really hot and humid and pretty gross, actually, yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, it's hot yeah. and dry here. I don't know what's worse. Right. I, th- I think humid is worse. Humid actually, is, but... is worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah. yeah. Gross. Otherwise, good. I've got coffee, so life is good. 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 Yeah. I've just been living on ice cold water and iced coffee mm-hmm. fans. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Fans. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. We've been so excited to talk to you. I connected with you through a Facebook group that we're both part of where people post if they want to be guests or if they're looking for guests on their podcast. And I was instantly like, oh, this person, we need to interview them because you're a death doula amongst other things. And so I think the work that you do seems really something that both Michelle and I need. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what do you do, and we'll get into it. Thank you for having me. I'm Maria Capalupo, and I am an end-of-life caregiver, which is just a different name for death doula. I use them interchangeably, where I support people emotionally, physically, and practically at the end of their lives. And the other half of my work is I am a grief support specialist. So I help people who are grieving anything, but usually loss from death. I help them identify, understand, and process their grief and give them tools to move forward in life, not move on, because I'm of the opinion there's no moving on, something that we have to learn to carry. And that's the goal of grief support is helping them learn to carry this unthinkable, unimaginable thing they've been given. Yeah, that's a really good way of wording it. Yeah, I've never heard of a death doula. I think probably a lot of our listeners have never heard of a death doula before. How did you get into that? Interestingly, to me anyway, I had never heard of a death doula either. Mm -hmm. I did not know that this service existed. And I certainly never thought of exploring a career doing this work. I was at a point in my life where I wanted to shift careers. I'm a professional musician, which oftentimes means I also have a day job and getting a bit older. So staying out until four in the morning is no longer. Anyway, it was just at a point in my life where I knew I wanted a change. I knew I wanted to help people, but I wasn't sure in what capacity I wanted to help. I wanted to be of service. I wanted to to help. So anyway, randomly, really quite randomly from an acquaintance that I barely know. She didn't know I was looking for a career change. She didn't know all that much about me, but intuitively sent me this email with a link. And she said, I'm sorry if this is wrong. I just have a feeling you need to see this. I just gave myself goosebumps. (laughs) I love that. a, A link to the certification course in end of life care. I had never heard of it. And I'm reading this course description and you know, those moments where things just fall into place and your life is about to change. I had that feeling and I read this thinking, this is me. This is why I was put on this earth. I have to do this work. Wow. And at the time, 
I made the excuses that we often make for ourselves. Well, I don't have the time to go to school. I don't have the money to go to school. I'll do it another day. Fast forward a couple of years. One of my most important family members was dying and I was with her in hospice and with her when she died, the moment that she died. I remembered this course, this link that somebody sent to me and I thought, I keep saying this was my aunt's parting gift to me was to remind me that this is what I was supposed to be doing. My family, my mom specifically made the financial part happen for me. Thank you, mom. And I made the time to take this course and it's what I've been doing ever since. Wow. Where do you learn this course? Yeah, there's the Institute of Traditional Medicine here in Toronto. They are the only certification course or I don't know if it's changed, but at the time I took it, they were the only certification course in end-of-life care. There are courses through the Home Hospice Association and other places, but Mm -hmm. at the time I took it, it was the only certification course. It was supposed to be at school in a classroom, and then we ended up having to move it to Zoom because it happened right at the beginning of COVID. Oh, man. Of course. And yeah, yeah, I reached out to the director and I said, I don't think I'm cut out for online learning. Can I do this one? When we're allowed to go back to school. And she was kind of like, (laughs) yeah. And I'm so glad she did. It it worked out exactly as it was supposed to. How would you describe the work that a end of life caregiver or death doula does? I just want to clarify by saying that I'm a non-medical worker. So that's how I differ from hospice care. I'm not allowed to administer drugs. However, the main purpose is for me to sit bedside and be with that person through the process of dying. And it could be early on, right after their terminal diagnosis, so we can spend time together doing legacy projects, or I help people Mm. say goodbye to their family members, or sometimes they just want to talk to me about all the time. They just want to talk to me because as they're dying, there's this guilt about leaving people behind and they don't want to tell their friends and family what they're going through emotionally. So that's that emotional support piece that I offer. I'm a safe space for them to not feel guilty about expressing their pain and fear and guilt and regret. We talk a lot about life the life that they led, how they wish things had been different, regrets and that sort of thing. So medical care teams are so busy. They come in and do what they do and they have to go to the next person. I'm hired to focus solely on that person. And I can sit there for eight or 10 hours if they want me to Mm -hmm. hold their hand. I offer palliative massage so I can offer non-medical pain relief. Sometimes we just talk about the weather. We look out the window and see what's happening. But a lot of time it's talking about what they're going through emotionally and physically and also where they've been. Part of it. I also work as an advocate with medical staff. I am a buffer. A lot of times people at end of life are not at their best. There's a lot of anger. There's also some cognitive issues where they become paranoid and they're really just not themselves anymore. And they see me as a trusted, almost member of the family, a member of their team. And sometimes they think, oh, the nurses are stealing from me or they're trying to kill me. It's delusion. And so I'm that buffer between because you don't want to be yelling at your medical staff when they're taking care of you. So I can say, okay, this is where they're at today and help be a buffer in that respect. Well, I didn't anticipate five minutes in being emotional. I was just going to say, like, Carling, are you okay? <laughs> I know. I was like, oh God, keep it together. So for those listening, my dad just died in February. Oh God. But he went to hospice and I was with him 
the whole time. But what's so interesting is as his daughter, I didn't know how because he did voice those regrets and concerns and he didn't want to die it was hard for him to say it to me being his daughter and it was hard for me like what am I supposed to say like it's okay what a beautiful gift you have to to be that middle person because you're right the medical staff was phenomenal but they were so busy and we're his family so we're grieving preemptively grieving and struggling while trying to support him so just what a gift to have your role as being that person that can just listen and take it in. You bring up a great point and a big part of my work as well is supporting the family. I hear time and again from family members, I don't know how to do this. Or is that normal? Is this supposed to be happening? Because we're not taught how to recognize what dying looks like, the reality of dying. First of all, the family's dealing with their own emotions, right? Plus they're learning about what's happening to their beloved, which is not pretty. It's not nice. And I can be there to help educate and support emotionally support the family so that they can navigate this experience. There's no dress rehearsal for this. There's no preparation for what you're going to see and what you're going to feel. It is an honor to be there again, to help the families through that and navigate it and validate not only what they're feeling, but what they're seeing. There's things like people at end of life don't want to eat or drink anymore. And a lot of us express love through eating and drinking. Let me comfort you with these donuts or whatever. Our loved one doesn't want that anymore because their body can't tolerate it and it's shutting down. And I can be able to say, you know what? It's okay that eating and drinking is now a part of their past. Oh, I just made myself emotional. Um, (laughs) It's just to be there to say it's okay. I think that is something that was missing, like for my experience, was that it was medical staff explaining their job is to manage pain and manage symptoms. And I think they did a good job. And there was a social worker, but she wasn't there all the time. And so we didn't because he did stop eating quite early on and then he stopped drinking. And you had mentioned something earlier about like he had gotten something called like palliative dementia, I think they called it. Yes. Where it was literally like your body's shutting down. So your toxins that your body's no longer filtering properly are flooding your brain. And so he was aggressive at times and he wasn't making sense. And it was like me and his wife there trying to understand what was happening it was really hard to wrap my head around like why he was being like that when everybody was just trying to help him but there wasn't enough medical staff to sit us down and say here's what's happening and have that I don't know maybe softer touch of explaining it yes yeah less clinical approach to it in the same vein as birthing dying, they've both become so clinical. And I know in the past few decades, birth doulas have become more and more prevalent, midwives, to soften the edges around that clinical way of bringing a new life into the world. And that's what we as death doulas are trying to do with the other side of life, with the dying processes to make it less clinical. That has its place. We need medical staff, obviously. No question about that. But I, there needs to be a more compassionate approach when dealing with the grand finale of our lives. Yeah. And anytime you do a job long enough, it does become a robotic, this is what it is. And you do have a hard time remembering, oh, 
there's 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 so much more and the medical staff doesn't have the time to do that. I have so many thoughts I can't even gather <laughs> them, but one of them has to do with religious trauma. The other one has to do with when it comes to who's contacting you for the family. Is it the person more commonly is it the person that has just received this news? Is it the family that is trying to have somebody there for the person who's dying? Do you find it's hard to, maybe if the family has contacted you, do you find it hard to gain their trust, the person who's passing? Sorry, my I'm like emotional and my brain's going everywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. I understand where your brains are right now. I actually watch them both explode simultaneously. <laughs> so, uh, Say what you need to say, ask what you need to ask. That's why I'm here. In answer to that question, it varies. In my experience, I have been contacted primarily by family members. I have received some referrals from actually the director of the school where I went. She would refer me to people that she thought I'd be a good fit with, and she was right. I've made amazing connections that way. She's intuitive that way. And also healthcare providers that I know have also referred me, and so will contact me to be in touch, but it's usually family members. Do you ever face pushback between family members? Like I would imagine Michelle's point about the religious piece, like who is this person coming in? There's a lot of emotions when you're in this situation. It's true. And I've been very lucky so far. I have not received any pushback like that from family members or the healthcare workers. Right. When I go into a palliative wing, for example, or into a hospice, they're extremely welcoming and they take me on as part of the team and keep me informed, which is great. Family is usually just relieved to have somebody there to help them navigate. The pushback I have received has been from the dying themselves. So family members will call me in. And I think of actually my very first dying client, it was arranged by a family member. And every time I would call him, he would hang up on me. (laughs) And he finally said, I don't have any interest in talking to you. I'm going to be fine. He had six weeks. And he was declining rapidly and we knew he wasn't going to be fine. So I called him and I said, we're not going to talk about what you're going through, but I heard that you love coffee and I heard that you love rock music. And those are two of my greatest passions. So could we just talk about that maybe? Yeah. So we did. We bonded over coffee and Pink Floyd and he (laughs) developed some trust in me, found out that I was just a regular human. I was not the Grim Reaper coming to take him away. Even that name, Death Jula. I've softened it with end of life caregiver. I needed to earn his trust. I, we needed to build that together. And, and I'm happy to say that we did, but yet I can think of a couple others. There's been a bit of pushback. They don't want to talk about it. They don't no, want to face I mean, the There's got to be an enormous amount of den- denial and actually giving Absolutely. in and saying, yes, this is what is happening to me and I need help. It's huge. Like, how do you wrap your head around that? Yeah, I can see really my hard. dad would have been the asshole. That's oh, like, yeah. oh no, like I don't need this. But then I can see myself, like, how do I get on a waiting list in case I become terminal to see you? Like, I can see because I have a hard time voicing my concerns or whatever with family and advocating for myself. But professionals, I can open up to my therapist. I'm like a lock and key to anybody that I'm close with. So I can see how nice that would be to have that trusted person. I can just, I can see your dad being very against it and being an asshole about it, but then 
becoming like your best also friend. trying to flirt with you yeah right oh yeah <laughs> trying to flirt with you and becoming your best friend and just talking your ear off about everything yeah and how do you like with birth it could be very long time but with birth there's like this maximum length that it'll go but with palliative care you like to your point six weeks what does that look like for how do you only take one client at a time and then how do you manage your work-life balance is there a work-life balance in the business of dying that's a great question and part of the reason i love it is because anytime i'm asked it's a reminder to me to maintain that balance yes. it's really hard my personality type first of all is to jump in and be there and give my all and completely forget about me. Yeah. <laughs> the truth is we have to put on our own oxygen mask before we help the person next to us. That old saying is absolutely yeah. true. So I have to make sure that I take care of myself. I don't overextend myself, even though I want to, yeah. so that I can best care for them. Some people hire me for a specific amount of time, at whether they've passed or not, maybe our time together is done. I will help with paperwork and arranging funerals. And I teach people about aftercare. So the different options for cremation, burial, aquamation, all those things. So we can talk about oh that. God, what is aquamation? <laughs> It's the most environmentally friendly form of aftercare. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. People don't want the details, but the body is placed into a great big tank. Water pressure literally dissolves the body. Wow. You're left with buckets of water and people will do things like take the water to a flower farm or a greenhouse or a garden or whatever in honor of that person who has died. Okay. They've fed the trees or they're being, they're still part of that life cycle. Oh, and I love there's that. A, yeah. There's a little bit of sand left behind, little mineral grains left behind that family members will take and put into jewelry or keep, you know, in a jar or scatter as they would with ashes. And it is, as I said, the most environmentally friendly form of aftercare. That's wow. insane. It is actually. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah. I, need, I need to get to my religious trauma because this is all kind I, of encompassing because I was raised Catholic. I'm not practicing Catholic anymore. You get taught about the last rites, the sacrament of the last rites. The way that it is presented is that it's this beautiful thing, and I'm sure it is, but we're never taught how painful and how hard it is to watch somebody die and to watch somebody receive those last rites. It honestly makes me mad that we're not taught that, and not just in, in the Catholic religion, but anywhere. Nobody's taught what it looks like and what happens, and when you have somebody who is in your life and who's dying and you want to be there for them. How do you prepare yourself? How do you prepare yourself for the inevitable trauma that you're going to have to deal with and the, the work that you're going to have to do for yourself later, but be there presently for that person who's dying. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be, I find it interesting because I did not grow up religious and listening to I don't know I'm of two thoughts there when with religion I think there's some sort of peace that comes with uh -huh. your belief in something that happens after 
Whereas for me, I would say I'm agnostic at best. You know, I I am hopeful that there is something more beautiful happening, whether it's pearly gates and all of this, I don't know. But at the same time there, I can see to your point, Michelle, like this trauma of you're just taught this one thing and that doesn't really align with what here on this earth is actually happening. Uh That's uh got to be like messed up and not only that but like even the burial aspect of it it's like you're catholic you're buried you have a huge catholic funeral whether that's your vibe or not right like it's just (laughs) it's it's the process and when my husband died we did all those things we did the viewing we did the burial we did the big catholic funeral and i just have a lot of resentment towards all of it i'm really frustrated and him dying and having a funeral in the Catholic church. I haven't gone back to a Catholic church since then. That almost cemented my like, I'm done. I'm all over the place because I'm have two schools of thoughts too, where I'm like, oh no, he's somewhere else. He's okay. Like he's happy. And then my other thought is no, he's literally just in the ground and that's it. And so I, every day I'm like going back and forth on like where, I don't know. I didn't think that this was going <laughs> to break me like it has. <laughs> We're both just like blubbering messes over here. I did not expect this today. <laughs> Maria, is this where your uh, work as grief support really comes in? Yeah, And so it is. what does that line and of work? And should we be paying you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will be sending a bill. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is the foundation of my grief support work is sifting through the trauma. That's something no one tells you about. Even grievers amongst themselves, nobody talks about the trauma. Yeah. That was something that I experienced myself when I was with my aunt when she died. I kept having these dreams replaying her death and I would wake up just in this panic. I'm like, what is happening to me? Now I know through my study and my work and everything else, neurologically speaking, and I might reference neurology a lot because I love the neurological component about the way our brains work. That was trauma. We have trauma dreams. We have trauma hallucinations. We have all, even when I was awake, all of a sudden, it would be there again. It dissipates with time. I worked through it in my own therapy, but that's a big, the trauma piece is huge. We are taught in North America that people can have a beautiful death and that, like you said earlier, it's just, they slowly drift away and the nurse says, oh yes, he's gone now. And then the heavens open and they yeah. fly up to their <laughs> cloud and it's beautiful. It's not beautiful. Yeah, I'm here to tell you that it's not beautiful, but we can get through it. Two things can exist in the same space. This can be the worst thing in the world, the most horrific, horrible thing, but it can also be okay because it's part of life. It just is. That's a big part of my my grief work is, is leading people to acceptance. Acceptance does not mean liking it. Acceptance does not mean agreeing with it or condoning it. It means acknowledging what is. It is seeing the reality of the situation. And once you can find acceptance, and my line over and over again to my grief clients is, you don't have to like it, but you do have to accept it. Once you accept it, you find a way to move with it. You find a way to carry it with you. There's no getting over it. There's no fixing it. Goodness gracious, don't push it down because it's going to manifest in other ways that are far worse than actually grieving. You have to sit in the fire. You have to sit in your pain and grief and feel it in order to heal it. 
I did not mean to rhyme, but I did. That's the truth of the matter. It just is. Acceptance, feel it, acknowledge the trauma, and there are tools available that you can learn and practice to continue to live your life. We are still alive and we effing hate that our people aren't with us. Yeah, It stinks. You can't sugarcoat it, but we are alive and we are meant to participate in the experience of living. And there's ways to do that while grieving. Grievers often feel like they're not allowed to enjoy things or be happy. And I often say, grief in time will end up being like that program running on your computer. The window for that program isn't open, but it's running in the background, right? Your grief is always there. You are always grieving, but it's okay. Again, two things can exist in the same space. It's okay to feel joy. It's okay to experience life, the good and the bad, and still grieve. And that's another thing that's important for the people who are around grievers to understand is they might be laughing and seeming to have the time of their life, but don't for a minute think that they're over it. They're yeah. never over it. That grief is still running in the background. It affects every single thing they do. And it is an act of complete bravery to allow yourself to feel joy yeah. while you're grieving. Yeah. One of the things you touched on that I still not there ready to acknowledge it for what it is, but the trauma, my therapist, we were talking about being in the room with my dad when he died. And my therapist was like, well, that's a trauma. And my brain just, it's not ready to, I don't know, I guess, dissect what that meant means for me. But mm -hmm. I don't think people realize because everything in media shows us that, like we said, you're laying in a bed, you're surrounded by your friends and family. It's a soft light. It's usually morning and it's a beautiful day. And then they just slowly go to sleep and then it's over. Not that I had this idea that's necessarily what it would be, but the analogy that I use is it was one of the least humane things that I have had to witness and yeah. I have been part of many animals having to be euthanized. And that is far more compassionate and nurturing. If I came across a wild animal in the forest suffering the way that I had to watch my dad suffer as his body died, we yeah. would have shot it in the head. And Absolutely. There was a point where it was me and his wife and my partner in the room. And they called us. They said, it's going to be any time now and all this stuff. And so... I was sort of like, okay, I didn't know what to expect. He was gasping for air every 30 seconds and fighting. At one point, the nurse came in. I rang the bell and I said, is there nothing you can do about this? And I don't know the science behind like his, it felt like his heart was trying to keep him alive, but he was dying. And I wanted them to give him something because in all the animal deaths I've been part of, you wouldn't let an animal go through that. And here wow. we are. All we could do was sit there. And the nurse was like, no, he's he's got fentanyl. He's got all this stuff. There's nothing we can do. And I just thought, what bullshit? How are we just watching him? And it was hours. It was not this sort of minutes long peaceful thing. It was torment. Yeah. You know, and all we could do was sit there and be there for him, but not, yeah. there was no more comforting. It's still, I'm so mad about that. Yeah. That is the way that it happens. And you're yeah. led to believe that once you get the beautiful option of choosing hospice, that's you, it's like this privileged, beautiful way to go. And it was a mm -hmm. nightmare. And mm -hmm. I know my dad really advocated for when doctor-assisted suicide. I don't know if there's a better term now that we use, but when that became legal, 
And unfortunately, by the time he decided to stop treatment, it was too late. And he, the red tape and everything you have to go through to have that happen would have been weeks, if not months. And he had a week before he died. I asked the social worker, I said, Mm -hmm. like, what about this option? And she's like, I'm not allowed to do anything other than give you this pamphlet on it. And yeah, I don't know. I just thought like, I want to start my own riot on Capitol Hill about this process because I'm so mad about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people know. I don't think people know that's what happens when you die. No, no. People don't know. They also don't, oftentimes don't know. First of all, there are advocacy groups for MAID, medical assistance in dying. So if you do want to channel your yeah, rage. I do. I do. Something, really look into that. It's a huge movement. It is so important. And that we could do a whole other show about that. Yeah. There's so much to say about it, but I'm a huge advocate for it. But another piece that people oftentimes don't realize, and I don't know why they're not told as soon as they're taken into palliative care hospice is palliative sedation. They can choose when to be sedated basically into a medically induced coma. So those last hours, like what your dad went through, he he would have been asleep and completely unaware. And it does, it's still a terrible process. It's still difficult, but it's usually a bit more peaceful because they're already asleep. Right. And they get to choose when that happens. Yeah, that was never yes. something that was brought up. It was all just about like managing his pain and discomfort. Yeah. But to have somebody like Maria in the room with you to say, this is normal. This is okay. This is the process. Yeah. And to be there. Because I'm sure at some point your focus turns from the person who's dying to the family because the person who's dying is no longer conscious or no longer there. Maybe both where you're helping the person and the family. But I'm sure at some point it's helping the family now go through this trauma and go through this scenario yes. and say, it's okay. Or tell me how you're feeling. percent. Yeah. A big goal of mine is to help alleviate some of the fear. We have been taught in North America to fear death, to fear dying, and also to avoid grieving. It's also toxic. Yeah. So it is scary because none of us have ever died before. We don't yeah. know what it's like. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what to expect. But I find that with education, I find that with a person who is experienced with this and can offer some calm and some emotional support, it doesn't have to be terrifying. Right. Scary, unpleasant, yeah, but not terrifying and not as traumatic. Yeah. And Michelle, I wanted to go, we got sidetracked yeah. <laughs> on your questions, but one, you asked about how to be with someone who is dying when it's not as beautiful as we've been led to believe that right. it is and that sort of thing. And my best advice is to simply be there and know that you are there for them. You're going to unpack your stuff later. You're going to deal with your stuff later. Try to find within you the feeling of honor that comes from sitting with your loved one in the final moments of their life. That is actually a gift. It's a gift none of us want and we'd love to return it, but there's no receipt. You have to, it's reframing. Yep, this is horrible. Yep, I hate this. I'm going to deal with that later. Sitting with my mom, dad, sister, friend, whomever right now, this is about them. I'm going to hold their hand and continue talking to them. Hearing is the last sense that goes. They can hear you. They may seem like they're completely out of it and that they're already gone, even though their heart is still working. I've seen it so many times. 
they can, it's been neurologically proven, they can hear you. So hold their hand, talk to them, tell them what you want to say, and be present, be mindful, be in that moment. Don't think to the future of when you're going to be grieving and when this is going to suck that they're not here. Try not to go there. Be in the moment. Yeah. Wow. Do you and I, I'm not sure to say that's mm-hmm. easy. It's not easy. No, no. It's the only way. Do you work with different religions or do you find your clients are primarily not religious? I do work with different religions and that's a really delicate component. Mm-hmm. It is important for an end of life caregiver not to either not to bring their belief system in the room or to only serve clients within their belief system. Right. I know death doulas that do one of two things. I choose to be a blank canvas and go in and become whatever they need me to be. If it is something that I am completely like vehemently against, of course, I will suggest that they see someone else. But if it is comforting to them to hear that God and the angels are coming to get them, I will respect that, acknowledge it, and tell them that. I find religion to be fascinating. So sometimes it's an opportunity for me to learn. I'll ask mm-hmm. the family, okay, what? tell me what I'm supposed to say. I'll yeah. do some reading and some research. I do the best that I can to just simply respect and acknowledge what they need in those moments for comfort. And Michelle, you brought up religion for yourself and I might regret coming back to it because I was also raised Catholic and I'm No longer. Uh, But we're given a lot of expectations that are not true. And I find that in all religions, all my client, my grief clients come to me being force fed this belief system that doesn't hold up when it needs to be in practice. And it causes a lot of resentment and extra pain, extra grief, because not only are they grieving that person that they lost, but they're also grieving a belief system that's supposed to uphold them at this time. It makes it complicated. That's not in every case. I'm not speaking for every person. For some people, it is the support that they need. But I have a client who came to me because her three-year-old died. The people in her church community, not Catholic, something else, but the people in her church community were saying, God needed another angel. (gasps) And things like that, that is not helpful. She is going to church to find comfort in Jesus. But now these people, well-meaning people are turning her against him because you're trying to tell me that Jesus took my baby away. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. We need to be so careful with our language. Like maybe that baby is an angel now, but that Christian God didn't do that. That Christian God is that's comforting. That's comforting to the people who are saying it, not to the person who's living it. There's a list of things that have been told to me either when I had a miscarriage or after I lost my husband by religious people. It's so the opposite of what I need to hear right now. And it's comforting to you to say it. And in your moment of grief right now, this is what you need to tell yourself or that you feel like you've told me something and that it's off your chest now or whatever, but it's not comforting and it's not what I need to hear and it's not helpful in any way. And going back to the the dying and a lot of religions, your suffering is a good thing. Your suffering brings you closer to God and to Jesus. And the longer you hold out and the more you suffer, the closer you are to God. And if that's that's not the most bullshit thing I've ever heard in my life, I can't Mm -hmm. even... I can't even. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating to me that God suffered and Jesus suffered for us. And so if we suffer, we're going to be right up there with him in the yeah. key lounge. Like, 
And I can't. Benevolent God that he, we are told he is, he doesn't want us to suffer. I think that's one of those. And again, this is probably should be another episode, but I think that's something that's been convoluted over time. I don't think that's what they, I don't, I like to believe that's not what they meant. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, but you see how this, all the political and religious bullshit mixes together because they say they, they don't want this doctor assisted suicide and this is their reasoning for it. But right. is that truly the right reason? Is that truly what God wanted? Was that for us to suffer? And you're going to use that now for your political agenda? I don't think so. And whew, yeah, yeah. fired up. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times, going back to what you mentioned about the things that people say, you're, they do want to comfort themselves and they want to distance themselves from your grief yes. because it makes them contemplate their own upcoming grief. Like, yes. I can't deal with your husband being gone because, oh my God, that might mean that it's real that my husband might be gone. They internalize it in a way that they can't even be there for you. And so yeah. you're making me think that's a movement that should happen not only outside of church, which is where I'm trying to educate and help people be more supportive in grief, but even in the churches themselves, somebody's got to reframe things so yeah. that people get the support that they need without turning their backs on their religion. Because that yeah. helps some people. It does. Love it it does. And you know what? I will say that I've, ex- I've experienced other people dying and friends who've lost family members. And I was comforted by my religion. I was comforted by the idea that this person is gone, but they're maybe they're happier or it, I ha- I hate saying it now because it sounds stupid, but it is comforting. And I don't want to sound like a total jackass to people who do believe this stuff, but it is so complicated. But you do feel like I always remember saying, I don't know how people who aren't religious deal with death. Because Mm -hmm. after you deal with death, you can pray, you can talk to them, you can picture them in wherever they're going. And that's comforting. But after my husband died, it was almost the complete opposite. Like I just, anyone who's trying to comfort me that way, I'm mad about. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, they're uncomfortable with their own grief. And they want to say something to me to make me, in their mind, feel better. And they've done their thing. They've done their duty. I've said something to her. I've said, pray, and you just have to keep praying, and you just have to keep praying, because that's comforting to me, but that's not comforting to the person who's lost somebody. Read the room. (laughs) Absolutely it. Yeah. Yes. The best thing that someone can say is, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And don't say, let me know if you need anything, because people in grief... They, first of all, they don't know what they need yeah, and they're not going to ask. They will not reach out and say, you know what? My kids need to be picked up from soccer practice. Can you do that? They're not going to ask. So you know what? Just show up or call that person and say, listen, I can drop off dinner, walk your dog or do your laundry. Do you want all three or just one? Yes. Tell them what you I can, can do write, them. I can do write it. an entire book about this because that is me, myself. I am terrible at asking for help. Terrible. And I can attest to this. Yes. And a lot of people in my life say, let me know if you need anything. Let me know. I will not let you know. I won't. So for me, it's like somebody texting me saying, I'm at Costco. I'm grabbing you or not even telling me. Drop off at my door a bag of apples, a gallon of milk, a frozen lasagna, and then walk away. Yeah. Especially when you're in those early stages of grief. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to feel like I have to comfort you while I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, 
sometimes grief is a really selfish, you have to be selfish in your grief because you can't, you don't have the capacity to help anybody else. And you also don't have the capacity to have somebody in your life who has expectations of you. If they're helping you, they expect praise and gratitude and a post on Facebook about it, or you obviously don't care. You have to be able to give yourself and help that person without expecting anything back. That's absolutely right. Yes, absolutely. Perfectly said. Everybody needs to hear angry. (laughs) No, I think that's so valid though. But honestly, after my husband died, a friend of mine whose husband had passed away six weeks before mine showed up at my parents' house with a book, a blanket, just left it and sent me a message. And that was one of the best things I was ever given after my husband died was this blanket. I could lay with it and I could sleep with it, but that person didn't expect anything from me. Yeah, there was no strings attached. Nothing. It was just, and, and she did that because she was just, she was still living through it, you know? And I don't know. Clearly I'm not, (laughs) clearly I'm still grieving. (laughs) That's okay. You're, you will always grieve. Yeah. You will always love your husband. Therefore you will always grieve. I picture them grief and love walking hand in hand behind you. They'll always be with you and it will change shape and it will sometime it's peaks and valleys, right? You'll be fine. And 10 years from now, you'll be like, okay, I'm living life. I miss him. Yes, but I'm okay. And then you'll be at the grocery store and suddenly be a puddle on the floor. It, It will do that. And that's all normal. It's all okay. And it's all a reflection of love. It's love. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is that the people around you, they just have, like you said, hold space for them and be there for them and say, I'm here for you. Whether you want to talk about him for the next hour, or you don't want to talk about him for the next hour. People who are grieving feel bad about bringing up their deceased loved one. Yeah. All the time. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. You don't know how other people are going to react. Are they going to shy away from you because you're talking about it? Mm-hmm. I remember talking about my kids who are now five. They lost their dad when they were two. And I was talking about their grief. And some people are saying, do they even remember him? And I'm like, first of all, that's terrible to say because I would really hope that my kids would remember their father. Yeah. yeah. And you don't know what grief is like in a five-year-old and the fact that they lost him when they were two, they're grieving him now when they're more aware of what they've lost and their grief doesn't go away because it's been three years. Their grief almost starts now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely true. I have a client who started coming to me because all the people around her kept telling her they were sick of hearing about it. Oh my God. They didn't want to hear about it. Aren't you over that yet? Are we still talking about this? Somebody said that to her. Are we still talking about this? Oh my God. Yeah. So she started coming to me so that she knew that for an hour a week, she was allowed to talk about it without being judged. We need to give people the freedom to continue to talk about their loved ones, memories of them. It doesn't even have to be about their grief, but it should be allowable as well. But even 10 years from now, oh, this reminds me of the time we did X, Y, and Z. It should always be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Something people don't realize too is the expectation is that grief gets easier over time. No, because in 20 years now, I've been missing that person for 20 years. Why would that be easier? We don't have to live in it. We don't have to dwell in it. We, it doesn't, it shouldn't 
control our lives, but it still exists. You see what I mean? Yeah. I know I think about this all the time where it's like, I want somebody to understand how I'm feeling, but the only way they'll understand how I'm feeling is to experience what I felt, but I don't want them to experience what I felt. You know what I mean? I don't want someone to have to lose a family member or someone close to them to understand how I'm feeling. But the perspective is you probably will only feel that way once you've lost somebody, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and the perspective that you get after someone has died is really, it really opens your eyes. I'm interested to hear how has your perspective on death and maybe afterlife or the act of dying changed through your education and career? And have you Mm -hmm. had any really interesting experiences or eye-opening experiences that really make you go, hmm, I wonder what's next. I was terrified of death and dying most of my life. And I have come to accept it as a part of living. I don't want to go tomorrow. I'd like to be 116 and still dancing and playing my electric (laughs) guitar. But, you know, you don't get to choose. Uh, But I am less fearful than I used to be. Working with dying people, especially, also grieving people, but especially dying people, has shifted my perspective on life and living well. Time is precious. We've only got this much of it. Let's make the best of it. I love talking about the top five regrets of the dying. And once I learned about those and started hearing them at bedside, people repeating them constantly to me, I decided to dedicate my life to living it in such a way that when it's my turn, I don't have any of those regrets to talk Mm. about. Yes. We all have regrets. That's part of the human condition. But I don't want my bedside discussion to be regrets. I want it to be, guys, remember that time I, (laughs) that I went, I don't want to be on my deathbed regretting wasting time arguing with my partner in the Ikea. Yeah. So perspective has certainly shifted. Yeah, definitely. And am completely uncertain about what happens next. David Bowie said, I, I don't know where I'm going next, but I know it won't be boring. I choose <laughs> to believe that's my yeah. religion. Yeah. Um, I love that quote. I, I really don't know. And, and being with the dying hasn't given me any insight. Oh, I see it now. That's what's going to happen. Right. I have no idea. But it's been enriching to be with people at end of life and hear from them what they think. Talking about death and dying always leads to the most enriching conversations about life and living. It just yeah. does. So that I'm very grateful for that. An interesting end of life story, maybe interesting to me. I don't know what it means, but a lot of times people will hallucinate at end of life. In some religions, they believe that ancestors are coming really there in the room, coming forward to take these people home. Some people think they're just hallucinations. Who knows? I will refer to them as hallucinations. I was taking care of an end of life patient in the last few days of her life. We were together for about eight weeks every day. In the last few days of her life, I walked in the room and she said, oh, I don't know why it is, But every time you come in here, I see a great big fluffy cat bouncing around the room. My great big fluffy cat had just died. Oh, wow. Oh, it's got chills. And she didn't know, like, I don't talk too much about myself. I'm I'm there for them. She didn't know that I'm an animal lover, a cat owner. She didn't know that my cat had died. She had no information on me really at all, aside that I was there for her. And, uh, And I said, oh, that's interesting. I love cats. She nodded off and then she opened her eyes real big and she said, it's the one from before the black one. 
<gasps> I have a black cat now that I got after my big fluffy gray cat. Oh, wow. Died. And I said, who told you that? <laughs> and she said, I said, oh, I just know. And then a few minutes later, she said, you can go home now. My grandpa's here keeping me company. He won't stop talking. No, this was an 80-year woman, 80-year-old woman. Her had been gone for, you know, 75 years. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't need me that day because her grandpa was there and he just kept talking. So hallucination, glimpse through the veil. I have no idea what it was, but I know that it was heartwarming. And I I just loved that story. Wow. I love that. What is the best way for people to find you and find out about you and follow the work that you do? I can be found at mariacapalupo.com. The last name is spelled C-A-P-O-L-U-P-O. And there you will find information on me, on my work, my services. End of life care is most often best done in person. So Mm -hmm. if you're in the Toronto area, I am available to you. There is some pre-death planning that we could do virtually that doesn't have to be in person, but obviously the bedside stuff, which is the heart of the work Mm -hmm. needs to be in person. My grief counseling, my grief support work, however, is all virtual. So I have clients that find me from all over the world. I'm super lucky. So as long as you have an internet connection and we can make time zones work, I am available for grief support to anyone. I'm grief and death support on Facebook and living.with.dying on Instagram. I have yet to venture into TikTok, but I guess I'll do that. Oh, you got to get there. Michelle pushed it and I was it's very so hesitant, fun. but I can tell you it, it's okay. It's safe. Yeah, yeah. You got to get, you got to try is. it out. Yeah, yeah. It is. You yeah. would have, me, so. I think that you would have a really interesting platform and really cool things to say on TikTok for sure. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you quickly for yourself, because I can't imagine it's easy to sit with someone while they're dying. What do you do for yourself, for your own mental health and for your own healing after you lose a client? Great question. I know that outside looking in, it would seem that once I lose my client, I would go through my own grieving period. And there is grief because I get very close to these people and I can't help but fall in love with them a little bit. I'm protecting them and taking care of them. So I love them. But I go in there knowing that I'm helping them in their final moments. I'm not trying to save them or make them better. So I focus on the honor it is Mm -hmm. to be allowed in. And I see them struggle. I see what they're going through physically and emotionally. Most of my clients, not all, I've had some young clients. I've had people who don't want to die. They're not ready to go, but I lead them to a place of acceptance or try to anyway. So once they have departed, I can't help but feel relief for them. And I'm so happy for them that there's no turning back from on that path that they were on. That was the inevitable. That's where they had to go. So good for them that they get to be free and not suffer anymore. So that's the way I frame it. That's what helps me. But just the basics, like remembering to stay hydrated, going for walks, watching funny movies, making sure I eat right and don't drink martinis in the bathtub, like that, (laughs) all those things, they need to be done. I have to take care of myself and be as healthy as I can be so that I can help them and also get through it when they are gone. That's really nice. Amazing. 
What you're doing is amazing. It's my whole heart. I couldn't love it more than I do. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. I know a lot of people aren't even aware of these services. And, you know, I feel like we break our arm, we go to the hospital and get a cast. I feel like if we're given a terminal diagnosis, we need a death doula to show up. Like we need a cast on our arm. Or if we're grieving, we need support. We need help. And myself included, we all need it. So I feel like it should be a given. As soon as it happens, oh, okay, I'm making my appointment. I don't know yeah. if you expect that if you get a terminal diagnosis that you're just going to be taken care of and that all these things are going to be set up for you, but they're not. And it is a medical thing and you're not the only one dying, unfortunately. So to be able to have somebody who's specifically there for you to deal with the emotional side of dying yeah. instead of the physical side of dying just mm-hmm. makes so much sense. Yeah, that was really Mm -hmm. the piece. I knew what to expect from a medical standpoint. They were very good at explaining it and facilitating it within hospice. But there is that piece of supporting the living that are going through it with them so closely. Like literally seconds after my dad died and we like hit the call button to, to confirm. And the nurse, it was the end of the shift and he was kind but cold and was just like, Yep. Okay. Yeah. He's gone now. And then left. And we were like, now what do we do? You know, we, we just stood up and started collecting his things. And like, that was just the end of it. If I had been there, I would have encouraged everyone to take 10 deep breaths and sit in that moment. Just take a minute. He's gone. So there's no rush to call anybody. There's nothing left to do. I would have guided you through a way that was comfortable for you to say goodbye. I would have gathered his things and got them to you later. You don't need to do that. You need to go have a cry, yeah, right? Or eat a cheeseburger or whatever it is that helps you through. You need to focus on you. So your death doula would be there to pick up those pieces for you. And I re- I'm so sorry that was the experience, but I'm grateful that you brought it up because to anyone listening who's going through someone at end of life, I encourage you so strongly after they die, take some time. Yeah. If you're comfortable, not everybody's comfortable sitting with a body, right? but most people are okay with that. Once you leave that room, everything's different. I hope that people will hear that and not be afraid to take their time. Don't be rushed away by staff and don't feel that you need to rush away. Take all the time you need. Oh gosh, Maria, we just love you. Yeah, no kidding. Holy. Yeah. I wish we were in the same place because I want to hug you both so badly. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah, it has been sad nap now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we all we've been through it, man. I know. Like we all need a nap and a cookie or something. Yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> so funny. I agree. We'll let Thank you get you on so with much. your day. Thank you so much. And we will be in touch really soon. Okay. Can I ask one last question? Yeah, of course. Me? Can each of you tell me one nice thing you're gonna do for yourself today? Oh, have a good cry, maybe. <laughs> I do the cry. One nice thing. I don't. I'll do like a face mask in a shower. Beautiful. Yeah. I bought like a chocolate raspberry ice cream bar that is going to be enjoyed while sitting in an inflatable pool. Oh my gosh. That's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Really think about it. Uh, What about you? uh, What are you going to do? Right now, one of my self-care things that I do is I'm going to put on one of my favorite songs and dance like a lunatic around my kitchen. And after that, I'm going to go spend some time with my best friend. We always laugh our faces off. So 
Yeah. I love that's what that. today's about. Uh, I think, um, I think a cleansing cry and then something nice for yourself is really important today. So that's your prescription from me. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you okay. later. Okay. okay. Bye. 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 Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. I like that you spent this entire episode Googling outer body and out of body. What have we come up with? Well, not much. (laughs) Not much to support me. I did Google outer body experience meaning and it did come up like it did pre-populate. But then the first thing that comes up is out of body experience. But then I'm seeing some outer on here too. So outer body experience anxiety how to leave your body when you sleep why would you want to do that i don't like that outer, i don't like that one bit anyways i don't know out of body outer body let's we'll put stories up a in a pool yeah yeah maria oh my god thank you omg I... we need to meet maria in real life like stat yeah like she needs to just come live with both of us for a time to help us heal yes absolutely and like a hundred percent if I am given the gift of time before dying. You better believe I'm getting a death doula. Absolutely. Because the other option was me just slowly putting a pillow over your face. Well, could Maria be there? Yeah, sure. She could (laughs) talk us through it. (laughs) I'll be like, oh my God, Maria, what are you doing here? This is great. And you're like, shh, 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 shh. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's going to be all right. Oh my God. But I did think I'm going to ask her back, Maria, if you're listening, I will be reaching out to have her on the Patreon to talk about doctor assisted suicide. Absolutely. I just think that'd be like an interesting bonus material for the Patreon. I think so too, especially coming from all of our perspectives and myself being raised Catholic. And I remember very vividly being in church when they were talking about Dr. Sister's suicide being available and how we were supposed to pray that it didn't and pray that everything that you could die on your own and feel closer to God because you're experiencing pain. So I just praying the gay away. Yeah. The work at abortion clinics. Yeah. And now like there's too much going on over there in those churches. It's a lot. It's a lot. So everybody check Maria out because she's phenomenal. And the even the grief support work that she can do remotely, like even if you're not in the Toronto area, she's phenomenal. What a gift. I, yeah, I'm very seriously considering hooking, like hitting her up for some of that. Give me some of that. If you guys have not already, you should be following us on all of the social medias. Yes. And we have a Facebook group. And so if you're on Facebook, if you're about our age or older and you're still on Facebook, (laughs) join our Facebook group. We have discussions, we have polls, we chat and connect. We're hoping to grow it. You just have to look up I did not sign up for this. And then I think there's a button that says join the I did not sign up for this podcast Facebook group. Yes. I think that if you go to our Facebook page, then you can get into the group. It's I don't know. You'll figure it out. Yeah. And we're also on Instagram. I did not sign up for this stuff podcast. We are on TikTok making a we fool of ourselves. TikTok. Yeah. Okay. We both equally hope that you have a great week. Yes, we do. We hope that this week is just the best. And if you have good news, share it with us. If you have bad news, share it with us. Drop us a DM. We just love it. Absolutely. We love connecting with you guys. All right, Michelle, go get ready for this barbecue because I'm coming over and I'm going to be <sighs> real hungry. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. 
Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.